Our teaching today is called Gifted, Fruitful, and Rooted, Reframing the Gift of Pleasure. Or more simply, we'll be using this phrase, good fruit from deep roots. It is always my hope and expectation when I stand before you to think that somebody's life is going to change today. And so our hope is that it's you. Uh, that maybe you're going to hear something from God's word today that's going to be a word of hope, a word of conviction, a word of inspiration. We want our faith to be experiential. And so we're going to have some messages. At the end, we're going to have some music, invite people to come forward and pray. The idea is that all of us are moving from what we're hearing and what we're thinking about God and that our faith would be embodied, that we would live out this kind of new community in Christ. Gifted fruitful and rooted. When I was on my sabbatical this summer for three months, one of the core things that I was wrestling with was my identity. And I wouldn't say it was wrestling as far as who am I, but uh, when you've been doing your whole life, the idea of just being is really tricky. And some of you are like, hmm, I'd love three months to find it out, Scott. Sounds really difficult, you know. But after 10 years in the church, like I'm a professional Christian, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm paid to love Jesus. I'm, I'm paid to help lead other people to deeper faith in God. And so it's really, really easy to make the mistake that the fruit in other people's lives, the size of the ministry, the impact of transformation, that somehow, some way, that, that has something to do with me. And during my three months away, God just reminded me, Scott, it's not about you. The things that I want to do in your life, the gifts that I've given you, the fruit that you see displayed in your life and others, all of that flows from your rootedness in me. And then just as this kind of beautiful kind of wrap to sabbatical, I I was praying one morning recently and I had this vision. And in the vision, I've been doing this centering prayer and God will, you know, kind of bring to mind an image. And in the centering prayer, I was me and Jesus alone. I was in this redwood forest and the sun was breaking through. And this wasn't anything that I've experienced in my own life in recent months or years, and so it was kind of a surprise, and I was in my mind's eyes, I was praying, I was walking through this forest, and I could feel Christ wooing me. I could smell it. I could feel it, the warmth. It was, it was wonderful. And in the middle of the forest, Jesus encountered me, and I was in this, this grove of these massive trees. And Jesus, just without even a word, what he communicated to me was, see this it's a gift. It's, a, it's the fruit from your life. I want to do so much more than you can even measure with your own eyes. Believe me, says the Lord. I am growing something in you and through you that will last beyond you. Legacy. This forest to me, this imagery was this kind of reminder about identity. See, because the world twists it, the world distorts it, the world says that all we are flows from what we do. This is what keeps so many of us locked up in shame and isolation. Who we are flows from what we do. And so if I want to be someone great, it's all about my behavior. And, and some of us, if it's something I've done in the past or something that somebody has done to me, then, then everything that I am flows from that. And so we get locked in these spaces. The world will tell us this lie, that... that, that What we do flows, who we are flows from what we do. This leads to so much destruction and shame in our life. And so, today we're going to be talking about gifts and about fruit 
But I want to I want to just be really pastoral as we're talking about alcohol, we're talking about sexual addiction, or we're talking about shame and brokenness. For many of us in the room, we've been hurt. We're carrying hurt. We're we're struggling with even last week where I talked about justice and mercy, which flowed from the week before. Where we talked about anger being part of love. I mean, this week when we talk about gifts and pleasure, it's really a, a message on Christian ethics. How then shall we live? And so when we talk about ethics, for many of us, it starts to trigger us. Just want to say, I'm on your side. God is on your side. God is wooing you. And if there's places of conviction this morning, please hear the Spirit drawing you in, not pushing you out. The church has struggled with the idea of gifts and fruits because we don't want to see them destroy people's lives. We heard in the video about Craig and and how something that he enjoyed that can be taken with liberality started to enslave him. So this question kind of comes to us through the message this morning is how free am I really? Am I enjoying the gifts and the fruits that God has given me or have I become enslaved to them? And there's this distortion, there's a reframe that's needed because in our culture there's this distortion that God is anti-pleasure but it is God, the giver of all gifts who gave us gifts so that we would worship him. And so our big idea here this morning that we're gonna line under is that what we do flows from who we are. What we do flows from who we are. And as followers of Christ, we want to be fully enjoying the gifts God has given without becoming enslaved to them. So good fruit from deep roots. What we do flows from who we are. So if we want different fruit or different gifts, we're called to first work on the rootedness in Christ. And this rootedness, which seems to be slow work and deep work, we're going to get into some of that tension. I'm working on the roots. I'm questioning the fruits. The good fruit, Jesus has said, comes from deep roots in him. So let's look at this first verse from James 1. We're going to talk about being gifted. In James 1, I read it over you. I want to look at it again. James 1, 12 through 18. And if we could pull that scripture up, James 1, 12 through 18, blessed is the person who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, again, we're kind of talking about ethics. When tempted, James writes, no one should say God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. We could pause there for just a moment because there is a lot that we wrestle with within that last verse. There is a lot that we struggle with. Is God working through my brokenness? Is God working through this thing? Did God want this thing to happen? There are other scriptures where, you know, Job in particular, where, where God seems to kind of create this like open field where the enemy kind of preys upon our faith. I think it's really important to hold on to this truth from James that God does not work that way. God is not tempting you. The tempting is coming from another place. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. This is where sin comes from. Sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. And we see this in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, murder. Sin enters the story. God didn't want sin to enter the story. That happens when desire gives way to evilness in our heart. When it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, said James. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a first fruit of all he created. We're going to be talking about both gifts and fruits today. Just want to highlight at the end of this James thing, he chose to give us birth. 
He's chosen you. It's really, really important. You weren't an accident. This didn't just kind of happen by evolution, and then God's like, well, they're here. I might as well draw them into relationship. God, God chose you, and he chose you in order that you would experience first fruits of all he created in relationship with him. And so God is the giver of all gifts. He's calling us to this life of fruitfulness. It's, it, it's this, uh, this message that life is a gift and we're meant to enjoy it. God's love is a gift and we're meant to enjoy it. And living well, the gift of human love, all of it. We're meant to enjoy it as a marker of God's giftedness. The Westminster Catechism, which the church has repeated for almost 500 years, a human's chief end is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, life is a gift that we're meant to enjoy. It's really important to kind of start there as a foundation level. Life is a gift. I'm meant to enjoy it in right relationship with God. But it's difficult for us to be right related to gifts when we're not in right relationship with God. And this is where gifts begin to be distorted. This is what Craig talked about in the video. He thought God was against them. There's a narrative in our city that God is against people, that he's in opposition with those not in family with him. God is the giver of all gifts, calling people back to right relationship. It's all about relationship. And so we live in this world where gifts become vilified or idolized or abused. And then the church kind of twists it and, and somehow the gospel becomes all about gift management. Don't do these the gifts. Do do these things. And, and so the result of this way of presenting Christ in our city has been tragic where first, many people aren't interested in a gospel about gift management. And secondly, many outwardly preaching about how to live were driven underground by pleasures that become hidden addictions. And so distortion begins Distortion begins. It's important to know that God doesn't distort gifts in order to trap us. Distortion is from our own brokenness arising from Genesis 3, our, our, cho- our choice to, to go it alone and not follow God fully. 1 John 2.16 talks about the distortion this way. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. And so the distortion that starts to have when we talk about gifts, well, what are some of the distortions? Food becomes gluttony or becomes eating disorders. Wine becomes alcoholism. Sex becomes me too and human trafficking. Provision becomes materialism and an endless pursuit of wealth without regarding of the environment. Sport becomes war or addiction. Work becomes an idol or becomes our new identity. And so hear me, church, the gifts that God has given have been abused. They've been distorted. And the danger in us as humans and our capacities, we struggle with an on-off switch. And so every addiction is a distortion. Every addiction is a distortion of something that God had given us to enjoy in right relationship with him. And so when we talk about addiction, we're talking about how we numb out or we speed up or we cut off from God or others. Addiction, which might look like a party on the outside, really it's death. It's cutting you off from God or others. And if you have questions on behavior in your life or someone you love about addiction, Pastor Ruth is almost an expert on addiction. She just did another training up north last or two weeks ago. We have resources for you. I wish we had more, but there are resources in our community. There are groups. We want to lead you out if there's places that feel like addiction in your life. Talk to Ruth about how to find more resources. 
Conversely, that's kind of externally. It's like, wow, yeah, the gifts have been distorted. We get it. We open the news. Internally in the church, we've distorted the truth too. We vilified gifts or vilified things that brought enjoyment because we didn't know how to enjoy them in right relationship. And so internally, we, we, we create a whole gospel about gift management. And the church has distorted what God gave to us as a gift. We distort the idea of work where we no longer actually rest as God commanded and we have no Sabbath and we have very little grace. Or we distort sex into a purity movement that so wraps you know, sexual encounter and so much shame that people don't know how to enjoy it within the right context of covenant. Or food, distortion of food. Richard, as we studied this week, told the story of a young woman who was just grieving, racked with, with a, an eating disorder. And he, Richard said, well, tell me more. And she said, well, my dad was a preacher. He knew I struggled. So he put on the refrigerator the verse, you know that verse, beware those whose God is their stomach. And so every time I opened the fridge, that Bible verse was pounding me on the head. I've got a distorted view of food. Like we do this in the church because we're worried about the gifts. We distort money and the teachings on generosity and greed, which Jesus turned more time teaching about than any other. We ignore them. We distort. No dancing. No drinking. No, no, no. This is the gospel, right? The gospel of no, the great no. I mean, if you're like me, and some of you in this room might be like, that's why I'm struggling to believe. I've seen a big no my entire life, and somehow there's joy here. We've distorted it, and I'm sorry as a leader in the church for ways in which we sought to protect you, and we hurt you. It's distorted what God gave as a gift. For me, I was raised so close to all these no's, I wasn't interested until I saw somebody live out a big yes. Because once somebody is living on fire for Jesus, enjoying gifts and, and joy and love and generosity, when you see a yes, you're transformed, right? You're like, well, I can follow that. And so we vilify gifts oftentimes because we've been worried about how they would play out in people's lives. And We need to apologize and lament in ways we were trying to protect people. The gospel isn't a giant no, it's a giant yes. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And so God becomes the gift. God, through the lens of Christ, is how we experience the gifted life. But this is where the caveat comes in that it's so important to understand. We're like, okay, I'm in. Yes, gifts, freedom, finally, liberality. About time somebody spoke the truth around here. But when we're not careful, because we struggle as humans with this lack of a healthy on-off switch, is, is we really struggle with restraint. That the gifted life is both one of enjoyment of gifts and restraint. And so how do we find pleasure in a godly way that often gets distorted? I want to introduce this concept of restraint. That God isn't a killjoy that he puts boundaries that are meant for our protection. And so if we become enslaved while practicing our freedom, the question naturally comes out, well, how free are we really? As we studied this week, one of the preachers said, you know, I I, I heard this image once that the pastor uh, Earl at UBC, 20 years, he did this thing about a kite. And it did a sermon about the restraint of God. 
I was meeting with another friend who served on Earl's board, and he's like, oh, the kite message. Yeah, in 20 years, people taught, it became famous, right? Because this idea of freedom, like a kite, we are the kite, and we are meant to soar. And while soaring, we have this tendency to say, you know what I really need? More freedom. If I could just reach down and cut that string, man, it'd be blue skies forever. And so we cut away at what God means to hold us in tension, intention of right relationship, restraint, the one who gives gifts, and us as we receive gifts, a gospel of sacrifice, that in Jesus' mercy he gave his life, that somehow coming to know him wouldn't be unlimited freedom that I could hurt myself, but restraint in right relationship. We are the kite. And so there's this distortion that we're going to get at this morning where we want to just kind of help you understand that accountability is difficult, but there's a tension between the, the, the gifts that God has given and the restraint. I just will just say as a subnote, there is a meeting on November 17th at noon called Friends in Recovery at One Cup. For anybody that wants to kind of be in community, in recovery, in whatever recovery movement you're part of, they're going to just have a, a gathering on the 17th. Ask Ruth if you need more, more uh, information about that. And I'll just ask you that question, church. Like, where do we ever get the idea that we wouldn't need to be formed? That we wouldn't need to be restrained. That we wouldn't need others. This is the truth that Jesus has so given you gifts, but you are meant to be held accountable in relationship one to another. And the church, when we're doing this well, we're not judging people, but we're holding people up in community saying, let's live together in both enjoying the gifts and the restraint in this tension. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We sell a cheap gospel these days. God is love, we say. Go at it. Just fly. There's no rules. It's all freedom. It's all good. Or we swing back. It's all rules. Like, we, we start to tell that narrative that, you know, who you are is just what you do, and so don't do bad things. And this is where this legacy for 100 years of Bethany's kind of teaching about the centrality of Christ and just the propensity of God's grace wooing us into this relationship of restraint. In college, I, I really struggled with my freedom for a while. I'd gone through a bad breakup. I became uh, 21. I, I turned 21. And so it's like, man, I, I'm free. I'm free. I, you know, I, I followed a bunch of rules because I was kind of in the gospel of sin management until Jesus came into my life at 18 and just <clears throat> tractor beam, spirit entered me and just changed me from the inside out. But then I went off to college and this whole na- notion of like, how free am I to enjoy the gifts? How much restraint do I really have? Well, we were, you know, just innocent college kids, and it was just a Tuesday night at the Fizzy Mulligan Saloon in North Spokane. It was just a trip to Canada. It was just, you know, playing pool and, and having a keg around. It was, I was abusing my freedom. We threw a, and I'm not proud of this. I was a young life leader in my community trying to tell kids about Jesus, and me and my college buddies threw one of the biggest keggers that the school had seen all year. There's a conflict. That's not freedom. 
That's distortion. That's really confusing for me to sit in the living room with a high school on a Thursday night and say God is for them. And then on Friday night, be fueling people's you know, solo cups saying, hey, here's an alternative reality, go free. And it was accountability between somebody I loved who said, I don't think this is what freedom looks like, Scott. You're missing God's best. Restraint, accountability. Have a drink or not, but when it starts to kind of burn at your freedom and sacrifice your witness, we're missing the fullness of what the gifts were intended to. Worship of God, right relationship, like a kite on a string. See, we've been given these gifts and we're called to be fruitful. I wrestled a lot this week because I don't love to mix metaphors, though I do it all the time, I know. But I'm like, gifts or fruit, fruit or gifts, you know, and this is like, this is where I live in my head all week, you know. I know. But I couldn't get away from the scriptures calling to both gifts and fruit. And I love the notion of fruits being something that grow and gifts being something just freely given. It's like the scriptures are full of both. So when we think about being fruitful, it's more about like this discipleship journey because we don't grow into being a place to receive more gifts. That's just what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and we grow in ability and maturity to put those gifts in use. But there's something different about the scripture with fruit. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So beautiful. Like that should be its own message. I chose you. I appointed you. You might go and bear fruit. Like that's why I chose you. Not just any fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is what we're called to. Our, our faith is meant to move us. We're meant to live these gifted, fruitful lives. And if you follow him, this is my honest conviction, if you follow him and put your trust in him and allow him to form you, then Jesus will provide for you. Now we're gonna get to some caveats for some of you like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I've been following and I'm struggling. We're gonna get there in just a moment. But let me first start with the promise spoken over you. That God has called you to fruitfulness. And he's promised to provide for you. One of, the, one of the rare pericopes, Bible stories repeated in all four Gospels, is the feeding of the 5,000. Certainly not the only one, but we pay attention to those stories that show up in each of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have the feeding of the 5,000. And in John, after feeding 5,000, we could call to fruitful lives. After the people saw the sign... After they saw the fruit of what Jesus did with taking fish and and loaves and feeding 5,000, Jesus performed. When they saw the sign, when they saw the fruit, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And so this is where we start to veer hard away from some sort of prosperity gospel like, oh, it's gifts, it's fruit, it's full bank accounts, it's healthy kids, it's no addiction, Follow Jesus. It will be easy, they say, because the video is more consistent with many of our lives where we say, yes, I'm baptized. I want to not be an addict. I'm done being that old life. And we wrestle. Why? God, you promised the fruit. It's a matter often of timing. But the fruit, the gift, it's a marker that there's a good father who gives good gifts. The provision becomes a pathway to more faith. And this is a question I'll just ask you. Like, is the provision God is giving somebody, oh, I'm so gifted right now. Like, right? My dating relationship, what a gift. 
Or, or my kids are in this gifted spot. Fruitful. How are you? Fruitful. I'm super fruit. Like, okay. Is it provision? Is it a pathway for more worship? Hold yourself accountable to that. For those in the room like, man, I'm feeling the gifts. I'm experiencing the fruit. Turn it to worship. Because many of us, it's like when it gets easy, we start to go in alone. When things get difficult again, we're like, man, I'm not, I'm not seeing the fruit. Our worship gets bigger. God wants to see you in a seat. But what Jesus says is the fruit was meant to be a marker of this good father. And so it's just important to remember that in the scriptures, everyone gets fed. The good father, he didn't do a spiritual gifts inventory or he didn't make distinctions which tribe of Israel the hungry ones were from. He just fed people. And so if you're sick this morning, if you're struggling this morning, if you feel like you're dying this morning, if you're hungry, hold on to hope. He will provide for you. He wants you to have a faith that's displaying Christ's fruit. And that is on the discipleship journey, on the distinction between, you know, being saved by faith in Christ and then sanctified to be more and more and more like them. We that have been saved, we're called to be sanctified. We're called to a deeper and deeper embodiment of the fruitful life in God, which will look more like what the scripture says in fruit, patience, peace, understanding, you read it. Like, what does the world tell us fruit? Tesla, you know, the car we drive, the vacations we take. Like, that's the fruit. No, the scriptures say the fruit is what God is growing in you and how people start to see God moving because what God's doing in you. We're called to have a deeply embodied faith that displays the character of Christ in fruitful lives. Barbara Brown Taylor, a modern female theologian, incredible thinker, she says this. She says, in our embedded life together, the words of our doctrine take on flesh. The last thing any of us needs is more information about God. We need the practice of incarnation by which God saves the lives of those whose intellectual ascent has turned as dry as dust. We've got some dusty ones among us this morning. Good news. God wants you to be fruitful. And have run frighteningly low on the bread of life who are dying to know more God in their bodies. Not more about God, but more God. We're called to this kind of embodied faith. And as soon as we start to talk about Christian ethics like this, fruitfulness like this, we're like, whoa, this starts to sound like works or legalism. But remember how God set this up. On six days he did work. On the seventh day he rested. We're called to participate with what Jesus wants to do in the world. We talked about it last week, justice and mercy. We talked about it the week and four. We're called to be moved by our faith. Remember those kind of 80 jingles? I don't feel like advertising does as many jingles. But I I grew up on jingles. I still will hear that juicy fruit. Juicy fruit, it's gonna move you. Anyone else? No. Yeah, I just dated myself. It's okay. Like, I'm singing that song 30 years later. Like, I'm a slave to marketing. But juicy fruit, it's meant to move you. How much more does the gospel of Jesus Christ want to live in us in an embodied faith? Not self-righteous, but seeking all the fruit that Jesus has for us. And so, we've come to that point in the message that some of you are like, about time. You have struggled with fruitfulness. Like, I'm in, Scott. Yet why am I struggling with the fruitfulness in my life or in my relationships? Why am I struggling with fruitfulness? 
We know that God gave gifts to be on-ramps for deeper faith, but if your life isn't feeling gifted or fruitful, there's some common dangers I want to go through with you. Here's some common dangers as I studied this week I want to just bring to you. Maybe one of these will kind of resonate with you. If you're missing fruit, number one, you may feel like there's underutilized gifts that you've been promised. You're not feeling it yet, God. You're not feeling wooed into this deeper life of faith. Underutilized gifts. There's a beautiful verse I want to highlight for you in Romans 4. I don't have a slide. You just have to go and find it in your Bible. Romans 4, Paul is talking about the life of Abraham. I spent a month of my sabbatical writing about this very chapter, and I'm going to be sharing it with the church over the winter and in the spring. But this beautiful piece in Romans 4 where God says, I've made you a father of many nations to Abraham. And then about God, it says he's the father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And I love that promise that God gives life to the dead and God calls into being things that were not. And so if you're feeling like there's this underutilized, there's a dry bonesness to your spirituality, stay hungry because God wants you fruitful. Missing fruit number two, fruit from bad timing, a.k.a. why not now God, a.k.a. how do we worship while we wait? I've done that message before. Again, we go to the life of Abraham. Genesis 5 and 6, no longer will you be called Abram, God says. Your name will be Abraham. I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come for you. It sounds great, except for Abraham had to wait 100 years, and there's something in the spiritual life, there's something that the scriptures point to, that it's this hopefulness for fruit, even when you don't see it yet, that will form you to be more like Christ. You will actually get more fruitful the more you wait well, the more that you believe in the fruitfulness of this relationship, the more you believe in the salvation of this kid who is, is far from Christ, the more you, you believe that God wants to do a massive work in our city around reconciliation and justice. I, I, I can't see it yet, God. And he's like, I know. But as you hope, as you press into that gap, I will form you to be more fruitful. There's bad timing or missing fruit number three, fruit from dead family trees, a.k.a. Old patterns are hard to end. Right after this promise of Abraham, we have the story of Lot, Abraham's nephew, who, remember, went on his own way. And it's a really tragic story in Genesis 19 about Lot, about his daughters, about pregnation. It's interesting to know that the kids fathered by Lot went on to be the tribes of the Ammonites and the Moabites who would later curse Israel. I've said this before, and I want to just say it again. What's not healed is handed down. And so if you're wrestling with family of origin, anger, or hurt, or bitterness, if you have stuff in your family, know that God wants you to be fruitful, and there's likely work that needs to be done. Missing fruit number four, fruit from the wrong trees, a.k.a. I wish my tree was more like theirs, or my fruit looked like their fruit. And this is just something I just want to highlight. One of the great destroyers of fruitfulness in your life will be envy. It is the enemy uses social media so effectively in our lives to birth in us envy, which destroys hope that God's fruit in our own life is good enough. 
Envy is so bad. And at the end of John, there's this amazing thing. Peter's been reconciled. He's been restored. Jesus has given a mission. Jesus says, follow me. And then they're walking and guess, and John's there. And then Peter turns, not like thankful. I'm gonna be fruitful again. I've been forgiven. God, Jesus, I can't believe you're doing this work in my life. Instead, he, he envies John and his position. It says the one that Jesus loved. Peter turns and says, what about him? Jesus says, you follow me. And Peter's instinct, what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Like, I'll talk to him too. Like, in other words, live the life that God has given you. Deal with the fruit or lack of fruit that he's called you to. Live your story well. Because when we're stuck in other people's trees, man, it destroys our hope. Stop with the envy. And finally, missing fruit number five, trying to live the fruitful life alone. And this is where, in the video, Craig pointed towards this, that service became an on-ramp for more fruitfulness. Abraham provided this map that becomes for us as all followers of Christ, that we were blessed to be a blessing. And so we honor him by, we honor God, we're fruitful when we love God and we love others. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. And so you were made for service. You were made to love other people well. I saw that a lot on my sabbatical. I saw, I was down at the skate park with my son. I saw Muslims praying on their knees towards Mecca. I drive my kids to soccer practice. I saw Mormons out in the neighborhood knocking on doors. I was home barbecuing and Jehovah's Witness knocked on my doors. You know the thought I kept having? Where are the Christians? Like, I know we're like saved by grace and so we don't have to go into the neighborhood or we don't have to pray at certain times, but I just, I so long for us to be a church on mission in our city that people would see our love of God, the, the gifts, the fruit. They'd see us living it out and they'd say, I'm hungry for that kind of life too. And this is where we end, the roots. This is the, this is, man, I need like, a, I need another week on this. I have so much material that I want to share with you. Let me just share with you Colossians 2 about our rootedness in Christ. Just as then you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so what we do flows from who we are. If you want good fruit in your life, it will come not from behavior management that we can start there, but where it actually will come from is your rootedness in Christ. Deep roots in Christ. And so like Paul, we struggle with the idea that, the, that we know what the good thing to do and we don't live it out. And the, remember, there's that beautiful piece in Romans 7. I'm not going to read it now, but like read it this week. Paul wrestles with this. Sometimes there's this distortion. If I'm tempted, somehow I've already been disqualified. That's a distortion. Jesus was tempted too. If you're tempted, press into it and know that God wants you to be rooted in him. He wants to break every chain that keeps you enslaved. He wants to keep every gift that's been distorted in your life or every fruit that's gone off or every hunger for more, more passion in your life for Jesus. He wants to break every chain in order for us to be rooted in his love. Ephesians 3, 17, 19 says, in Christ, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love will have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. May you be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, may you grow deep roots. 
May you experience even greater fruitfulness. May you live in life in such a way that God's gifts aren't distorted in your life. So I want to call the band back up. And as we go into our time of response, there's some questions in the bottom of your sermon notes that maybe we'll just prime this time for you to just be reminded that God has given you gifts. And just this question I want to speak over you, what gifts has God given you specifically? And secondly, what fruit has become damaged in your life? And third, what roots in Christ will focus you in worship on him? If, if good fruit comes from deep roots, then this means that the place of transformation actually ha- happens as we worship God more. As we start to exist for God in our lives, to grow our roots deep, we can hunger for more fruit and more gifts. And I told you a bit about that, that story of the forest. I want to tell you how that story ends. Because I was praying and I felt like God led me into this forest. I could see it. I, I've been having these deeper encounters with the Holy Spirit. And he longs for you to experience him too. The Holy Spirit wants to so fill your life that your head knowledge would move to your heart knowledge and your body knowledge. It's what this church's journey is on right now. And so there's this forest. And I told you, Jesus is there. And, and Jesus is walking me through these redwoods. And I can smell it. And I can experience it. And it's great. But it doesn't end there. Further up in the forest, Jesus is leading me by the hand. And in the middle, like I'm seeing this all in my time of prayer. And I I hate to share it with you because some of you are like, that's not fruit like me. I don't have prayer times like that. I don't have that gift. Just stay with me because God gave us a vision together. I love you. But more importantly, God loves you. And so he wanted you to know what happened in this time of prayer where there's this forest and Jesus is leading me. And then he leads me up through the forest. And it's beautiful. And there's this little garden. And I'm like looking around and it's all happening in my time of prayer, but it was so real. It was full of fruit to be enjoyed. And it felt like Jesus just wanted me to share that with you this morning, that encounter. Because he's wooing you too. He wants you to know that you've been given great gifts. There are things growing in your life that you can't measure with your eyes alone. There is a call to deeper fruitfulness that he wants for you. It's not behavior modification, but he certainly doesn't want you to be enslaved by your liberality. He's calling you to rootedness. And from those good, good, deep roots will flow the best fruit, a life in Christ. And so what we're going to do, in just a moment I'm going to pray. We're, gonna, we're just going to be a little more experiential. We're going to ask people to come forward. And for those that want to just pray, I'm going to ask you to just come forward and to kneel or to lean or to squat and just pray up here. We're going to make this high school auditorium an altar to the Lord. For those of you like, man, there's distorted fruit. There's gifts that I don't have yet that I want. There's, and if somebody you love comes forward, come with them and just pray. You don't even have to ask questions. Lay hands on them. We'll also have prayer team members that will come forward. Instead of being isolated out over here, they're just going to be coming and laying hands and praying for people too. We want to be a church with embodied faith fruitful, that they would say, how was church today? And we would say, amazing, because I came and knelt before the living God, the giver of all gifts, the bringer of all fruit, the the one who's growing my roots deeper. So we're just going to do that. We're going to open this up, and I'm going to just encourage you to come forward. We're going to sing a song about Jesus, the great chain breaker, who longs to see us not enslaved, but set free. We pray with me now. Lord Jesus, we pray that your spirit would be present in this place. We're ready now, Lord, to, to abandon the control that so many of us have a false idol of. We're wide open. 
Lord God, I, I felt like that vision you gave this week about the forest and about the fruit was a word you wanted for this community, and so I share it humbly. But Lord God, you're the, you're the God of all gifts and fruit. Would you grow us to these really deep roots? As we close in response this morning, God, would you move us deeper and deeper into your love, deeper and deeper into your heart, because we know that that's the roots that all the real fruit will come from. We long to experience, we long to experience, we long to experience,